Welcome, Drake basketball fans, to another episode of the Drake Basketball Podcast. I'm Tucker. I'm here with your co-host, Eduardo. And boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. We're coming off the Cayman Islands Classic, where Drake went 2-1. and one. We had a victory against Oakland, 85-77, a loss to Stephen F. Austin, 92-68, to and then finished the tournament with a win against the preseason MAC favorite, Akron, 79 to 59. Eduardo, what did you think watching this tournament? A mixed bag. Some positives, uh, some negatives. I think going into it, I think a lot of Drake fans were excited to get a couple cracks at at some solid uh, programs. When we talked last week, I think we all wanted to see Stephen of Austin and then potentially match up against Utah State. Uh, The first part of that did happen. It's hard not to start with the Stephen F. Austin game. Seeing Drake get, you know, shellackled by 24 points truthfully just doesn't happen in the Debris era. I feel like sometimes we're good for one absolute random game in a season. Like I remember the Richmond game uh, last year that just made no sense. But yeah, I mean, I guess I guess my main takeaway is just concern about our defense overall, but we can probably get into a little bit more in depth into that. What were some of your main takeaways just to start us off? Yeah, it's funny because I had the same thought as you when you were talking about how rarely games like Stephen F. Austin happen. And I was just trying to think back over the DeVries era, trying to think of games that reminded me of this. And just off the top of my head, we had a blowout game against Colorado at Colorado in uh, I believe it was DeVries second year but I could be off on that we obviously had the loss at Richmond last year against Loyola in game one of the back-to-back pandemic series at the NAP and then there was a game against you and I at the NAP Center where Noah Carter went off for something like six or seven threes and we lost pretty handily there. But outside of that, the fact that I can name four to yeah. five games throughout a coach's entire tenure that have been blowouts. We must, I must preface that the you and I blowout is especially sweet because they blew out Drake at Drake in the last game of the regular season. And then Drake turned around five days later and beat them in the NBC quarterfinals by 20. So that's always really nice to mention but yeah you're right I mean it doesn't happen often they're rare what did you see from Stephen F. Austin that led to a 24 point blowout over the Bulldogs I think it was a mixture of a couple things first and foremost our defense especially on the perimeter is nowhere close to what it needs to be right now I think we've relied on a lot of really versatile and experienced defenders over the past couple years that are now gone, uh, you know, with DJ, Garrett, Roman. And right now, our guards especially are still sort of trying to figure out how to play the level of defense that you need to succeed at this level. So first and foremost, the defense, uh, the physicality isn't there, the rotations are too slow, and they're losing shooters in the rotations. So you take that and then you combine it with the fact that Stephen F. Austin shot a ridiculous percentage against us. 
in that game, they shot 61% from three, which mm. I don't care if you're open. That's a solid. If you're wide open for every shot you take, that's a solid percentage to shoot as a team. But they shot 61% against Drake uh, from three, 63% from the field. In the game after that against Utah State, they lost by 30 and shot 17% from three. So I don't think you can say that their shooting performance was purely indicative of how bad Drake's defense was. I think it was a combination of them having a once-in-a-season shooting game paired with a defense that isn't where it needs to be yet. Yeah, and the the three-point shooting was was a, a huge factor in that game. I think the part that was frustrating for me is I thought the, in the first half, I thought Drake was actually playing – pretty good defense and it was close obviously you know it's a close game but i thought there was a stretch there where drake was getting stops but then on the other end we were starting to get really sloppy with the ball we talked about you know stephen f austin's press and their defense and we just were starting to get you could see it like we're starting to rush we're starting to get careless and at the time it was okay but in the second half it was not okay and it just kind of snowballed after they started hitting threes and i also feel like you should never you can't judge a team by how they perform against another team but the fact that they lost to utah state by 30 then became wow like we just lost to stephen f austin who just got clobbered by utah state uh who also lost to bradley so then it's kind of you know you start going down that that rabbit hole of okay how good is drake but i know i know feel like maybe bulldog fans were overreacting a little bit to the loss oh yeah absolutely this early in the season there are always going to be games especially early on especially with this many new faces where you don't look as good as you are and depending on who you're playing you can look a lot worse i don't blame fans for reacting negatively but i definitely think that a lot of people read way too much into one game. This is a team with a lot of new faces that are still learning how to play together. And this early in the season, I just really don't think it tells you that much other than the fact that we need to get our defense a whole lot better. Yeah, and they did respond. You know, I think it would have been easy to kind of hang your heads and say, okay, we're coming in into this, trying to win a little tournament championship. And now you have to play the third place game against Akron. And they looked awesome against uh, against Akron. And I think a lot of it, and we you know, we haven't talked about Tucker DeBreeze's performance in the Cayman Islands Classic, but a lot of it sometimes is just Tucker. I mean, when your best player is making shots and in the flow of things and in rhythm, it just, everything falls in line. Uh, I think one of the encouraging signs against Oakland was that Tucker had a, a really poor shooting game uh, I thought his defense was good. I thought he rebounded well, uh, so I'll give him credit for that. But the impressive part of the Oakland game was it was no problem. You know, Kevin Overton was great. The offense still looked very good. And then in the Akron game, offense still looked very good. But this time it was led by by Tucker being super efficient, shooting at great from three. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess looking at it big picture, my two big concerns are the perimeter defense. I think, yes, a team can can get hot, shoot it well, and you can't control that to a certain extent. But once it starts happening every time, 
<laughs> Drake plays, then it's a little bit more of a, this is you not defending the three-point line great. So the defense, specifically in the perimeter, is a concern, uh, especially kind of some of our smaller guard lineups. Uh, and then the biggest thing, or the second biggest thing for me, is the bench scoring. Because um, I think, you know, we're not getting a lot of production off the bench. And I know... I love Adam Wright. I think he can really score, but a part of me just keeps thinking, you know, what would that second unit look look like if he's coming off the bench, uh, being our Jamal Crawford light, uh, so to speak, and giving us that scoring threat off the bench? Yeah, I mean, Eduardo and I talk constantly about Drake basketball. We have ongoing text threads. And just for fun, we were playing with what some different lineups would look like that could maybe help with some of Drake's early season issues. And obviously the two biggest issues that fans have been talking about early on is a lack of scoring off the bench and struggle defensively. And part of the issue defensively is that we have, we don't have a whole lot of size on the court right now. We don't have as many of those, those wing players that can switch and give opposing offenses fits. So I was just saying to Eduardo the other day, it'd be kind of fun to see what would happen if DeVries put Enright at one, Overton at two, Rosario at three, Tucker at four, and Brody at the five, just to get some extra length out there and then bring in Atten so that we'd have scoring off the bench. Because right now there isn't a whole lot of buckets to be found once you get past that first five. Yeah, um, I think, yes, I think Rosario, I mean, obviously I don't, I don't necessarily want to speculate too much with what's going on with Ethan Roberts. I think, obviously, if he's back on the court, I think he would be also another person that you could look at putting into the starting lineup eventually uh, once you ease him back into the season. Uh, but overall, you know, Drake's 5-1, and 2-1 and one in the Cayman Islands Classic. I don't feel like we're 5-1 and one just because I don't think we've played very well. But again... I think maybe we've raised the standard or the bar a little bit where we're not just happy to get wins and we're we're trying to look ahead of, hey, we got to fix these things or we're we're trying to have a deep run. Do you want to get into the Texas Southern game? Is is there a, a desire to break down uh, that a great performance by Drake against Texas Southern? We can talk about Texas Southern, but before I just want to think a little bit further about how crazy it is that Drake basketball has gotten to the point that we can be five and one and half the fan base is going, Oh Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're so unhappy. We're five and one with wins against Akron, who has picked number one in the Mac. We only won that by 20, you know, Oakland, I think was picked first or second in the horizon. They just knocked off Xavier at Xavier about five minutes before we started this podcast. And, Drake won that one, 85-77. So it's just, it's a great time to be a fan of Drake basketball. Are we going to need improvement on a lot of things if we're going to win the Valley, if we're going to go to the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. But I'm not worried at this point in time. DeVries has shown himself time and time again to be a master adjuster. The jump from Stephen F. Austin to Akron is kind of a microcosm of what I'm hoping to see in the season. Because you had one game where we looked horrific and then the next game tucker dropped 33 the whole team got involved kevin overton dropped 15 darnell had 11 it was a great team effort and it's probably the best we've looked this season and so you have a bad performance you followed up with a great performance you have some tough performances in the non-con you get better and better until you're performing your best when it matters most so 
I'm just really excited to see where Coach DeVries can take this team and how all these new guys can up their game as they continue to play more in a Drake uniform. Yeah, one other small thing that I would say about main takeaways, we got to figure something out when Tucker is struggling. Like, surely we have to learn from the NCAA tournament loss because that game against Oakland, I was getting PTSD from, like, Tucker can't find a shot, he's struggling, and it just feels like we don't have a good go-to play on, okay, let's get him on a roll or, like, let's get him on the block or mm-hmm. just give him an easy bucket. So something to think about throughout the season because there will be games where your jumper isn't falling or you're you're being defended well, and we just have to do a better job of getting Tucker an easy bucket, and that's where you miss a guy like Roman Penn who can probably get you an easy, an easy layup or an easy look when you need it. And I'm with you on Oakland. I, I think they were actually picked fourth, but they're, they're going to have a good season. Like they got some good shooting. They got pretty good lineup. Like I was pretty impressed with Oakland. And as you mentioned, they, they beat Xavier later on in the year too. So I think they will be a good team. I think that that win by Drake will look better and better as the year goes on. And then I think the Akron one will look better and better as the year goes on. So still a couple good opportunities uh, in the non-conference as well, still remaining for Drake. But yeah, let's get into Texas Southern because that was a, a puke fest. So where, no, where do you want to no. start? No, timeout. Just to put Texas Southern back even further in the order of operations. First, we have to give a huge shout out to Kevin Overton. He made the all-tournament team. He scored 15 against Akron. He scored 19 against Stephen F. Austin. And he, uh, I think he had 22 against Oakland. So he was consistent all tournament long, did not look the part of a freshman whatsoever. And I put it out there on Twitter. This is exactly why we had him as our preseason starter and the freshman of the year in the Valley. I just, I really want to talk about Texas Southern, but I guess we can instead shower Kevin Overton with praises. You, you twisted my arm. (laughs) It's, it's funny because we just talked about a new era of Drake basketball where five and one isn't enough. How about having a freshman who is a legit, already a, a legit double digit scorer, you know, six games into his college career and I don't necessarily feel the need to be that impressed by it because he's really good. Kevin Overton is the real deal. And I say this every time we have a podcast, I say this. This guy doesn't get rushed. He doesn't make bad decisions with the ball. He knows exactly who he is. And he's the perfect uh, escape route for Drake in the corner. Uh, so he's doing a great job of just making his open threes, uh, driving it when he can drive it, and then running the floor when he can run the floor. Uh, so I think what's scary about him is in year one, you're already seeing all of that in his game. But let Drake's coaches and assistant coaches work with him on developing other parts of his game. And by the time year two, year three hits, it'll be it'll be way better. But he already looks like the heir apparent to Tucker scoring. I mean, he really does. He's He's the real deal. Yeah, well, and it's like you said with development. I truly believe that Drake's coaching staff is probably the best in the Valley at developing players. I mean, you just see it year after year. Everybody gets better. And just thinking about what he could be as an upperclassman, I'm psyched. Like He's going to be such a huge part of what they do. And he seems to be also a pretty versatile defender. Uh, so I, I think he can he can make improvements as he, as he kind of gets adjusted to the college 
uh, level on that front as well. So it's not just the offense that I think will continue to get better, but the defense, the defense too. And he's been great. And Wright has been great too. I, I think that three-headed monster of Wright over and Debris is going to be is going to be really tough in the Valley. It's more so just figuring out the defense and figuring out, you know, the bench scoring and just getting a little bit of help uh, in some other spots. Yeah, and if Ethan Roberts comes back, we've all seen what a capable player he is uh, as Rookie of the Year and in the league for Army. We'd love to see him in action, and so hopefully we get a chance to see what a scoring punch from him would look like. So coming up next for Drake is Valpo. Valley, with its newly expanded roster, now has a schedule where we have two conference games right in the middle of the non-conference, which I know Coach DeVries isn't a fan of. And neither I don't think I. any coaches. <laughs> well, I mean, you're you're right in the middle of your non-conference schedule. You're trying to get everything figured out. And then, bam, here's two league games uh, that are going to play a huge part in the league race that have just popped up before the rest of the schedule does. It's a, it's a little bit odd. I mean, at this point, I guess you should prepare for it because it doesn't seem like the Valley's going to change it. But Valpo and Missouri State off the bat, just like that. Yeah. So, I mean, Valpo... How do I put this uh, politically? That's a game that Drake needs to win if they want to contend in the Valley again. Right now, they're 4-2. and two. They have wins against the Trinity Christian Trolls. That's a real team. Uh, I looked them up. Uh, they also beat Green Bay, Western Illinois, and Southern University, who's 1-5. They were picked for 12th in the Valley preseason, and it's their first season under their new head coach, Roger Powell. Eduardo, what did you what did you see about this team when you were breaking them down? Oh man, Valpo, for starters, there's something about that god awful gin. I mean, I'm <laughs> sorry, but everyone who's a Valley fan knows that their gym is really tiny. The color scheme is awful. There's something about that place that just seems to put Drake in a malaise always. Um, we never seem to have a clean, easy game at Valpo. It's always a struggle. It's always a grind. Even last year when Drake won there, it was an overtime game where Tucker had to have 30-plus to pull that one out. Uh, a lot of new faces, uh, new head coach. I was uh, breaking down some of their stats against Illinois. Apparently, they have a guard who who can go off. I, I say a Stafford, so I guess you know he's the one to look out for junior college transfer scored 30 against Illinois. Uh, so I guess that's who Drake should be zeroing in on. But as you said, I think the Valley is going to be really competitive this year. You can't afford to lose games against the lower bottom of the conference, even if it's in the middle of your non-conference, even if you seem to always get drowsy when you play in that game, in that gym, <laughs> Drake has to figure out a way to take care of business um, because then they have a pretty big game against Missouri State over the weekend. And I know you mentioned their beautiful arena. Fans of the podcast, if you're listening, it's common knowledge among Valley fans that during the uh, application process to be added to the Valley, Valpo officials promised the Valley that they were in the process of renovating the ARC, as it's known. But since they've joined the Valley, I haven't seen any changes. It's still a disgusting looking arena. But I actually think that this is a great opportunity for us to correct some of the slow start issues that we've been having early on in the season. 
their game day atmosphere is tepid and the players are surrounded by a sea of yellow and brown seats broken up here and there by depressed fans. So the theme of our season this far has been inconsistency with on games, off games, slow starts, fast finishes. So if you want to win the Valley, you have to deliver consistent effort night in and night out. And you have to show that you're mentally tough enough to overcome those circumstances. So I'm looking for Drake to show up strong and hit the ground running in this first conference game. And I think coach is going to make it a definite priority to impose the will early and get physical down low since they do have a center that's starting who I believe is like 6'9", 220. So Brody should definitely have a big advantage inside. And hopefully he can get off to a hot start and uh, Tucker can follow. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think the the center you're referencing is Cooper Schweiger, uh, who's yep. a freshman and who's looked pretty good to start out the year. I mean, he looks like he's going to be an Im- impactful player for for Valpo for years to come. He's looked fairly good in his non-conference. And, and like I mentioned before, just not letting Isaiah Stafford get into a rhythm. A really quick guard, uh, 6'2", can score kind of at all levels. Uh, so I think that's where it starts for Valpo. It's playing through their center and playing through their guard, uh, Isaiah Stafford. So that's where it is for Drake. And on I guess on our end, like you said, avoiding the slow starts. And I hope we can have a stress-free game to kick off the conference season. My fingers are crossed. So are we going to talk about Missouri State or are we going to talk about Texas Southern? No, I'm just kidding. Mm. I think we should just stick with Missouri State. You know what? Let me flip a coin and just see which one to go with. Uh, Yeah, it turned up Missouri State. I would have loved to have discussed the Texas Southern game personally, but Missouri State it is. Uh, The Bears come to the Knapp Center with currently a 5-1 and record with their only loss coming in an eight-point defeat at West Virginia. They haven't played an overly tough schedule this year. Um, as I was looking through it, they uh, they beat sort of a middling ORU team. Who else have they played this year, Eduardo? Uh, Florida Gulf Coast, Kent State. So not not a lot of uh, heavy hitters. I mean, Oral Roberts probably is their their best win, even though obviously they've they've taken a step back. Uh, but they've taken care of business so far this season, five and one. The Bears always give Drake a tough game. I feel like we always use them as the example whenever we talk about, oh, yeah, Drake's struggles with length and athleticism. It's always, yeah, just like when we play Missouri State, uh, because that's always part of their MO. I, I also really enjoy pointing out that I believe it's Missouri State has beaten Drake four of the last six times they've met but the two losses are in the MVC tournament. So I also really like pointing that out because even though it seems like they have our number, we've somehow managed to have their number when it matters most. But Missouri State, all all kidding aside, they're going to be a really tough game on this little two-game Valley stretch. Their guards have gotten off to a really good start. Uh, Obviously, every every Valley fan knows of uh, Donovan Clay kind of combo forward that does everything for Missouri State, but Alston Mason and Chance Moore have actually gotten off to a pretty pretty hot start for them. Uh, so that always seems to be kind of the benchmark for Missouri State. If they're hitting threes, I think they're a pretty good team. It's when they're not hitting threes and just playing really ugly, that's when they struggle. Uh, so that's probably the thing to look out for. You know, are their guards 
getting in a good flow and making shots? And are we going to defend the three-point line better than we did against uh, Stephen of Austin? Missouri State, year in and year out, is one of the most talented teams in the conference. And it just always seems to come down to whether or not Dana Ford can push them to perform at their full potential. And up until now, he hasn't been. Because if these guys played to their full potential, they'd be winning the conference. I mean, you look at their starting lineup. Donovan Clay, who you already mentioned, is an all-conference forward with freakish athletic abilities. Chance Moore was a four-star top 100 recruit out of high school who initially committed to Arkansas and then transferred to Missouri State. Alston Mason, transfer guard from Oklahoma. He's shooting 47% from three this year. Uh, Caesar Edwards, who's another top 100 recruit who transferred there out of Xavier. And rounding out that lineup, they have Matthew Lee, who started 25 to 30 games for St. Peter's on the way to the Elite Eight. So they've got guys on guys on guys on their roster. Yeah, and in a weird way, like, I don't think there's any surprises when Drake and Missouri State play. Like, we know how they want to play. We know that they try to make it ugly and try to slow the game down for us. Like, that's just how every game goes. So I don't, I think from that, from that perspective, it becomes, can Drake play how they want to play, which is play up tempo, move the ball, get our offense going, or is it Missouri State that can kind of slow it down make it make it a grind so we we know how this how this movie goes it's just who will be able to force the other team to play how they want to play on saturday and i actually think that the stephen f austin game is going to be really good prep for our matchup with them because missouri state also likes to play very handsy pressure defense in a half court set so getting a chance to play against the lumberjacks who just pushed and grabbed and pressured all game and also, you know, Stephen F. Austin had a pretty athletic roster, too. So I just think they're sort of a good Missouri State light uh, to get us ready for this one. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious to see, you mentioned that game, if we do any adjustments, make any adjustments on, are we still playing the two-guard lineup? Or are we trying to go a little bit big at, at times? Um some of some of the Missouri State guards are not are not huge, but it's it's the forwards that are just length everywhere. Uh, so I'm interested to see that, you know, do we kind of run out the same lineups that we did against Stephen of Austin or. I did notice to that effect that DeVries was getting them to try quite a few sets where he'd establish Brody at the free throw line and then send cutters back door toward the rim um, in a game that Drake played after the Cayman Islands tournament. Uh, but before Valpo, I can't remember. I can't remember who they were playing, but they did. <laughs> They did uh, run quite a few sets with that. So that looks like something that he's identified that he wants to try against some more aggressive defenses. That that seems like we're, it's going to be needed. Uh, Brody, Brody's been pretty, he's been solid to start out. That game that you mentioned was his best game of the season against that team from Texas um, that we somehow squeaked by. But Bro, Brody has been solid. Uh, I think Missouri State kind of always takes him out of the game, you know, kind of doesn't really make him a factor as much. So I think Brody can have a big game. Um, and if maybe that makes life easier for Drake. And like you said, Brody can be a good passer when when he's in the right spots. Um, so mm-hmm. hopefully we see we see some of that. At Balpo and then hosting Missouri State this week, starting off 2-0 in conference play would be terrific because it's going to be tight. 
I know we keep saying this, but those standings are going to get very tight as the season goes on. So you can't you can't be dropping games that you should win on the road and getting Missouri State. At least it's at home uh, for Drake to start out. Yeah, tough game. But if we want to contend in the Valley, we have to hold serve at home and we have to beat teams like Valpo on the road. So I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say we come out of this stretch 2-0 and to start Valley play. Where do you have us, Eduardo? Uh, I think we do it. I think we go 2-0. and It's weird, but I'm personally more worried about the Valpo game than the Missouri State game. And it's not that Missouri State isn't better than Valpo. I just feel like we'll be a lot more focused and prepared for Missouri State because we know the challenge that they present on, on several levels. And I just hope we don't take Valpo lightly because... As I as I can't keep hammering it, but we just never get in a good flow in that gym. So I think if we beat Valpo, we're going to beat Missouri State. And I think if we lose to Valpo, we'll still probably be Missouri State, I guess is where I'm at. On the bright side, the Valpo game is the first game of the conference season this year. So you would think that wow. if ever we were going to be able to be up and ready for Valpo, it would be this one. You would think. You would think we'd be, we'd be off, off and running. All right, let's take a lap around the Valley. Pretty much everyone in the conference has been performing ahead of expectations this year. We've got Bradley at 6-0, Evansville at 6-0. That one's completely unprecedented. I don't think anybody in the country had Evansville penciled in uh, with an undefeated start this far into the season. Did you, Eduardo? No, and Evansville is a punchline in the Missouri Valley year after year. So... Huge shout out to them for starting off undefeated, playing well. They've been a couple of decent uh, mid-major teams as well. And yeah, I mean, good for them because, I mean, everyone pokes fun at them. Uh, I know they've been really bad for, for a long time, but it just takes takes the right coach, right set of players. And it seems like they got they got momentum and they got a group of guys who believe in, in what they're doing. So good for Evansville. And on the Bradley front, uh, we appreciate the help for the Valley because uh, they've pulled out some nice non-conference wins. And I mean, the Valley's killing it. I mean, it's really been a pretty unblemished non-conference season so far. I don't think we've had any bad losses uh, or like any horrific losses, I should say. So pretty much everyone has held serve. And then most Valley teams have tallied two or three good wins uh, to help the conference. So it's been a good non-conference for the Valley. And now I guess we're going to see who's for real in this little two-game stretch before we finish out the non-conference season. I mean, the only two teams with losing records right now are Murray State and Northern Iowa. And Northern Iowa, who was picked by some as their uh, Valley champion has not performed quite up to par, but they did pick up a 20 point victory over uh, Stanford the other night, which was good. And obviously in the era of net will, will help the Valley out there. So. Yeah. And uh, I guess if we're, if we're looking at some of our preseason picks, uh, Belmont has not looked good. Uh, (laughs) They've looked very bad. Uh, I still I still kind of have faith that they'll turn it around. Weird things happen sometimes in the non-con, but 
Yeah, that, I'm a little bit surprised that poor they've looked. Same with Missouri State. They haven't been playing that great either. And yeah, I mean, you and I, I think the you know they played some pretty good teams. Uh, it's just it's just the fact of the blown leads. You know, blowing leads against uh, North Carolina and getting blown out, and then blowing a lead against Texas Tech and losing by two. So they definitely had a couple opportunities to pick up points against Power Five teams there, and uh, they just kind of blew it. With with you and I, it's just been the missed opportunities that have to have you just kicking yourself if you're a UNI fan. Like as a Drake fan, it's tough for me, but I cheer for you and I in all non-conference and tournament games. But good lord, they just get out there, they're performing well, shooting the ball, and then they just pull a Texas A&M time and time again, and it's amazing how quickly that lead vanishes. And it must pain you to mention Texas A&M, you know, just at a, at, it's it, it must be such a, a memory that you don't want to bring up again as a Drake fan. No, it's like I don't want to make the Panthers relive blowing a 10 point lead in 38 seconds. Like just because it's some sort of a record doesn't mean you should have to hear people mention it time and time again. But <laughs> oh. And then people get confused, you know, wait, did they blow the lead against Texas Tech or was it Texas A&M? Did they blow it again against? And it's like, no, it was Texas A&M. It wasn't Texas Tech. This time it was Texas Tech. But yeah, definitely seems to be a trend with them. Don't really know how they can improve on that. Uh, But that being said, just a couple blown opportunities that would have helped the Valley in the non-conference. At what point is it a characteristic of Ben Jacobson coach teams? Because obviously he can win big games, like, and he's a great coach. But his teams seem to have this disturbing tendency to freak the hell out when other teams start to come back on them. My theory on that is that it seems that teams don't scout or prepare well for you and I, and they start just like killing you with fundamentals and like their, with their very old school traditional sets and just kind of build up a lead. And then once teams see it, they adjust and then they're like, Oh, okay, we can figure this out. And that's, that's my, my very basic way of explaining why you and I seems to give up these leads against other Valley team, other non-Valley teams. Uh, but what do I know? It seems it's a little bit odd that they, they seem to get into this habit of just blowing big leads. Yeah. I don't know, man, but Fortunately, we are not Panther fans, so we don't have to deal with it. Yeah. Hey, and UIC uh, beat George Washington, so yes, they, sir. Uh, they're picking on the A-10 a little bit there. Um, but they've looked good. I think the teams that were supposed to be kind of quote-unquote bad in the Valley are certainly looking like they're at least going to be in the middle of the pack, uh, so that's good. And then some of the teams that were probably going to be more top-to-middle <laughs> might be more middle-to-bottom is kind of what we're learning. Yeah, UIC seems intent on showing the A-10 that they chose the wrong Chicago (laughs) institution. Uh, Yeah, but hey, another team that everyone was making fun of them last year, and now now they're playing well. See, see, Drake won't lose to UIC and Evansville because we respect them in the Drake basketball podcast. We weren't poking fun, so they should remember that when they play us. And yeah, listeners, if you're from another school, feel free to ridicule us mercilessly on Twitter if and when your school beats us. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But, uh, yeah. All right. Well, that I think that does it, unless you've got anything else, Eduardo. 
No, we gotta we gotta get these two wins against Valpo and and Missouri State, and hopefully get just some more positivity in Bulldog Nation. Because as we talked about, we're five and one. Uh, so let's get these two wins, get off to a good start in conference play, and let's let's see what we can do. Let's do it. Thank <laughs> you.